<clears throat> okay. Ready to go, Reg? Final podcast of 2022. <sighs> Didn't think so. I, I just, it just dawned on me. Can you believe we did 52 of these this year already? I wouldn't have thought we did 51. It's just flown by. <laughs> All right. And it's what? Episode 344, right? No, no. 334. Three, three, no, 344. 344, right. Yeah. Yeah, 344. Okay. <laughs> <Whew>. <laughs> Good thing it's the last one of the year, right? <laughs> All right, here we go. I'll give you the uh, three S's, and I'll give you the countdown to give you the music, and I'll give you episode 344, the final episode of 2022. Star, smile, strong. Three, two, one. Hey, it's Elton Jim Toronto, and this is Captain Podtastic. And welcome to another episode of Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. Every Monday, a new episode is posted at WGNRadio.com or wherever you go to find your favorite podcast. We're there, as we have been since 2016. Billions and billions sold. <laughs> well, not really sold, but uh, anyway... And uh, don't forget, listening to this podcast every week, that's not just your only obligations. Get out there and, and sell it. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell anybody who listens to a podcast that your favorite podcast is Elton Jim's Captain Podcast, and it should be theirs too. Your loyalty and devotion for all these years has been so, so appreciated. Also, if you like what you hear, don't forget, you go back to the WGN Radio Dot com website, hit the prompt for podcasts, and you'll find prompt for this exact podcast. You click that, and my gosh, what will you find? Talk about Christmas presents under the tree. Just keep scrolling down, scrolling down. We'll go back two, three, four years, who knows how long. There's a plethora of podcasts just waiting to be binged on, so have fun. I don't know how far back they go, but I know that I've done... 343, which will make this one 344. So, welcome to the final podcast of 2022. My goodness. Time flies when you're having fun. At least it has on this end of the podcast microphone. Hopefully it is from your headphones. Uh, wow, it's been uh, in May we will be celebrating seven years of this wow i mean that's there's a lot of podcasts that have been around but I, this is you know when, when i started this podcasting was relatively new now everybody has a podcast or everybody's grandma and grandfather and you know five-year-old kid it it, it 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 runs the gamut but back then it was still a relatively new thing and uh so i hope you've uh you've enjoyed it I certainly enjoy doing it. There's some of you that have been around since day one, and maybe many of you have found this podcast as the years gone by. Whatever your backstory is, happy to have you here for episode 344. 
And uh, so it, 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 just think about it. With, with, and I'm not, I'm not a, a whiz at math. I was good at uh, addition, subtraction, multiplication, division, and uh, algebra one, freshman year. Very good. And then math just went off into a different world. My brain was not, was not geared for that thing, I guess. Good thing that I'm not – good thing because I, I would have maybe gone into engineering and then, you know, worked on the uh, – uh, on a space shuttle or some kind of big uh, mission like that, and uh, I, I wouldn't have wanted to have that responsibility. I may have made a mistake. So good thing that I was weeded out early on. <laughs> some, there's a reason why some things are, 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 are difficult. It's to weed those of us who can't do these things out so we don't waste our time and we don't um, create havoc. So, you know, everybody can't be good at everything. But when things are too difficult, and I you say people, especially in today's world, full of slogans and self, you know, self-affirming sloganeering and all this stuff, oh, you know, there's also a thing about, you know, as I said many times, facing reality. Play to your strengths. That's what I've always tried to do. I've tried things, believe me, and I failed at them gloriously. And but I've also felt like, okay, that's not for me. Let's let's expend the energy and the effort on something that I might be able to succeed at. I like to be the best at what I do. Uh, so I, I understand people say, oh, you know, they, they, a lot of people, they, 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 they train, for instance, for a marathon and they finish. It takes them six hours. Everybody's congratulating them. And I think that's fantastic. But if, if that's in your if that's your goal, is if, if your goal is just to be able to finish something, great. But I've ne- I've always wanted to to just be a little better. And so no, I have never run a marathon because I never was a good I was a pretty good sprinter in my day. I was fast. Well, you know, when I played sports, I was fast, but I was not good at long distance running. And I'm not sure why, but I was just not. And it was I was and I and I and I did quite a bit of it. In my training as a, as a high school athlete and, and a few years beyond, we used to run long distances for various sports, and it was never easy for me. So, no, I've never run a marathon. I never thought about running a marathon just because doing it and finishing just that wasn't my goal. I wouldn't. I knew I, I knew I could never win it, but uh, I knew that wasn't my expertise. So I went into other things and and found other sports that where I was good at and enjoyed being good at them and and worked on those. So there's two there's two schools of thought on that. Um, but as I said, I've I've tried. It's not that I've never tried things, but uh, I said I think there's sometimes where it's just like you know what, just time to realize that that's not your thing. Right? <laughs> it's just not right. That doesn't mean that you're any lesser, that you give up, or you don't have the, the fortitude or the mental toughness. No. Because if there is something that you do like, you will put all of your mental toughness into it. So it's not just finishing something for the sake of finishing it. I think it's, some, it's, do, it's doing something that you really care about, that you want to be good, that you will, will voluntarily give all your time and effort 
And if it is simply to run a marathon and finish it, whether it takes three hours and 15 minutes or 17 hours and 25 minutes, if that's your goal, fantastic. But if your goal is to is to be really good at something, then I would say explore those things. And if you find something that you're good at, then in, 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 in invest all that time and that effort and that passion into that so that you can be the very best you can be. So different schools of thought. That's all that, you know, nothing, no, no, no one's right or wrong. And how did I get on the, that little jag? Oh yeah. Because I said I, I wasn't good at geometry. <laughs> Wow. It doesn't take much to get me off on a tangent, does it? <laughs> but we'll come back. We'll come back. I was talking about um, sports and athleticism, which is actually uh, what I want to talk about today. Of all things, I never in my wildest dreams expected to, even on a short-term basis, and I think that's all this is. I don't think this is a beginning of a a beautiful relationship or a long-term relationship. Um, it's not a passionate relationship. I don't think so. It's a friendship. I mean, I don't even know if it's a friendship. It might be just an acquaintance. That's the way I would, right now at least. We'll see as time goes on. But right now I am defining the relation, this relationship that I'm going to tell you about as a, an acquaintance. Maybe it needs one more adjective. It, perhaps it's a... Um, uh, it's a inspired acquaintance. How's that? A little positivity onto it. There's, there's there's more than just meeting someone and saying or something and, may, and saying hi. Or uh, it, it, it's I don't even I, I wouldn't say it's a dalliance. I I, I wouldn't say it's a dalliance because I believe I will be back. To me, a dalliance is more of a. Uh, it connotes the, the sense of something uh, one or two times, and then it, it goes away. I, I, I don't. I, I would not consider this a dalliance. I would not consider this a love affair. I wouldn't consider this an infatuation. Uh, I don't have a crush. Um, this was an inspired acquaintance that I most likely may revisit. How's that? Wow. How's that for uh, enough um, enough caveats on that description? But I never would have thought, I, even though that's as deluded as I could get, I never even thought I would reach that deluded level because I've certainly had the opportunities to, and I haven't. But for some reason, and it turned out, that, and, and, and what was interesting was that I'm glad that I did. It wasn't an unfulfilling uh, climax at all. It, it turned out to be... Uh, Worth the time and effort and investment, even though I was not completely sold on it. And, uh, you know, I wasn't up at night thinking about it. You're saying, Jim, what, what, what are you talking about here? Uh, no, it's not another person. It's a, it's a thing. It's an it. It's a sport. And uh, I never thought that I would have even shown a, the, the slightest interest in soccer. But, or as they say around the rest of the world, football. As they say in, um, in Spanish-speaking countries, because I did take 
you know, four years of Spanish in high school, Partido de Football. Maria Delgado and Amelia Del Paso played um, Partido de Football in the little dialogues. I remember <laughs> when I took Spanish in, uh, in, in high school, they used to, our, our, our Spanish book, our, our Spanish lessons were basically uh, revolved around these little vignettes, these little, these little written vignettes about some kids in, um, I, I believe they were in Spain. I don't know exactly, but, you know, I I don't know how long this lasted. I'm not sure what they teach, how they teach uh, a foreign language in school today. But I was in college, I mean, in high school, and I took took Spanish. In fact, um, on my college entrance exam, uh, I don't know why, because I didn't wind up taking it, but I actually, um, I took a test, and I tested out of, Spanish one. I could have taken Spanish two. So I guess I was, I don't consider myself that fluid or fluent. <laughs> I'm fluid because uh, <laughs> I don't really know how much that much. I don't consider myself fluent in Spanish, but apparently, at least for this standardized test um, for college, I, I, I tested out. Of, of Spanish one first year, I could have started at Spanish two, which surprised the heck out of me. Um, speak of the devil, or the devil, of course, Diablo, if you will. Uh, but I still remember words and phrases, and I've, I've, traveled, I've traveled to Spanish-speaking countries, and I have been able to at least get by with some Spanish. I am far from fluent, though. No way. But... Um, Yes, Partido de Football. And I don't know how, and maybe if you're of a certain age, if you took um, Spanish, you may remember this. Because may, I would assume that a lot of the, the Spanish curriculum books were all the same, used by different schools. I, I, I don't know if that's the case or not. But, but we used to have these little vignettes, and we'd read these vignettes, and then they were all in Spanish. And then we had to translate them. And the questions were... I don't know if the questions were in Spanish or if the questions were in English, and I think they were, and then we had to write the answer in Spanish. Uh, maybe that was the case. But, that, but, but the vignettes were these little stories, um, and, and they, there were several characters involved, but for some reason I just remember Maria Delgado and, and Emilia Del Paso, and they would, they would visit their abuelita, their grandmother, and they would play. And there was there were a couple of boys involved. I don't remember why. I don't know why I don't remember their names. But I do remember Partido, Partido de, de Football. And, of course, football was soccer uh, in the reference there because it, it, that is our, our version of football has never, I mean, it, it has in the last 15 or 20 years begun to, or maybe 30 years, they started playing football in Europe and in a few major cities about 30 years or so ago, and they still play some games now more than they used to. They're trying to export football around the world, our football, American football. But, um, you know, when I was in high school, at that time, Partido de Football was still soccer. And uh, soccer was still in its its relative infancy uh, when I was in high school in terms of here in the United States. But certainly over the last 35, 40 years, certainly in the last 25 
or 20 at the very, very least. You know, soccer has become much more popular popular in the United States. Uh, soccer leagues all over the place, and um, you know, in schools and at parks, and uh, people go to bars, and you hear people talking about uh, Real Madrid and um, and Manchester and uh, and all these different uh, international soccer teams, um, and people go. You know, the Premier League, and it's on now, national television. NBC, I know, uh, does a lot of soccer. So soccer certainly has risen in its awareness and its popularity in the United States, certainly with people uh, over the last 25 or 30 years who grew up playing soccer, and now that they're adults, they've retained that. You always have a connection to a sport that you played. You can relate to it. You understand the game more. So as these these, uh, people that play, boys and girls too, uh, that's a great, I think, uh, popularity of the game is that it it really doesn't uh, depend and and make such a divisive uh, break uh, between the sexes. I think that's one of the unifying things about soccer. There's a lot of things that make it a, the world's game, which it is. There's no question about that. You go to any foreign country, especially through in Europe or South America, and it's soccer. You know, in Europe, there, especially in England and things, there's cricket on quite a bit too. But you'll just see soccer games from everywhere all the time, and uh, it's growing here. Uh, I remember in the when I was a little kid in the mid seventies, I had a subscription to Sports Illustrated. I was always into sports; played several sports as a little kid, and um, and I do remember when they were first trying to bring soccer to America in the mid seventies, and um, they started a soccer league here. And they imported many of the best European players. Uh, the The best of them all was a, a player. I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, I know he's from South America. I'm not sure which country. But Pele. P-E-L-E. One word. One name. He was like Cher back then. Pele. In fact, when I was a little kid, I, I read that before I, I heard his name said I, of course, read it as Peel, (laughs) right? Why not? (laughs) I mean, what else if you saw that? If you were, you know, in sixth or seventh grade or something, uh, what else would you expect that to be? Uh, Peel, P-E-L-E. I remember, uh, once again, as a little kid, I was, uh, I, I bought, you know, so, you know, um, cards. You know, like hockey cards and baseball cards, and football cards, sports cards. You know, and uh, I really, you know, once again, as a young kid, you don't know French or anything like that. You know, and so a lot of the, uh, and still today, now there's a lot of different uh, nationalities, but. Um, at that time, there was a lot of French Canadian players, obviously, playing, and uh, you know they all had their these French names, and uh, I didn't know that. So 
when I bought the cards, you know, there was uh, there was a guy in the, the Buffalo Sabres named Rennie Robert, right? I mean, Rennie Robert. You can't get much more French than that. But when you looked at his card, his name was Reen Robert, right? R E N E R O B E E R R O B E E E R O B E R T. So I remember getting the cards, and I knew all the Blackhawks, and the Blackhawks didn't really have as many difficult, um, you know, French names, and if they did. I didn't really, it didn't seem that odd to me because I heard them on television and on the radio when I listened to the games or watched the games. And so even a name like Ivan Boldarev, which is, you know, a Russian, I would assume he was Russian. I don't remember. He was obviously from the Eastern Bloc somewhere. Um, but, you know, the Blackhawks had Bobby Hull and Tony Esposito and Jim Pappen and Bill White and Pat Stapleton. And Doug Jarrett and Cliff Coral and Keith Magnuson. These were not overtly French names. I'm, and now that I think about that, it's kind of interesting that they they didn't have those names. The Blackhawks, the, the most of the the, the 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 major Blackhawk players when I was growing up had at least American sounding names. I mean Chico Mackey, but still it was easy to say it. There wasn't the French involved. But then as I got into hockey, I bought the hockey cards. And so then, as I said before, there was a guy on, uh, so there's say Rennie Robert. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm saying Reen Robert. Then I'm watching a, a Buffalo Sabres game and, and the guy says Rennie Robert. And I'm like, what did he say? And then I, 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 pick, I take my cards out and I'm like, Oh, are they, they, they showed the name on the screen. I'm like, wait, that's Reen Robert. <laughs> and on the uh, Montreal Canadiens, obviously a lot of French, Canadian players on Montreal, um, or Montreal, if you will. Uh, but there was a guy named Henri Richard, right? Well, on my uh, hockey card, it was Henry Richard. No, Richard, not Henri. H-E-N-R-I was Henry, not Henri Richard. <laughs> uh, Guy Lafleur was Guy Laf uh, Laflier. <laughs> there was no Lafleur. Guy Lafleur. So I learned French to some extent. There was a guy in the New York, uh, the New York uh, Rangers. Two, several guys, but one was uh, Jean. Ratel, right? J J E A N, and Ratel was R A T I E L L E or something. Well, I was saying Gene Rattle, Gene Rattle, and a guy on his line was Rod Gilbert. Well, on my my mind it was six, seven, eight year old you know mind. He was uh, Rod Gilbert and Gene Rattle. There was a goalie, Gilles Villemur. I didn't even try the last name in English. Villemur, what the hell was that? I called him Gills, G-I-L-L-E-S, Gills Villem something. With Gene Rattle and Rod Gilbert. 
and Henry Richard <laughs> and and Jacques Lemaire was Jacquez. <laughs> right? Of course. <laughs> but uh I remember uh in the mid seventies, Pele, P E L E, or as I said back then, Peel, who was from Brazil, he was the greatest player uh at the time. And maybe one of the most, but still considered the best, perhaps of all time. There have been few since then, but at this time, um, in the '60s and '70s, uh, Pele was the best, and he was brought over to uh, to help, you know, kickstart soccer in the United States. And many of the best players came over. Now in Chicago, we had a, a team called the Chicago Sting, which ultimately. Won a championship. It was the first championship that Chicago had won, I think, since the Bears won the NFL championship. There wasn't a Super Bowl back then when the Bears first won it in the in the early 60s. I think it was, what, 63? There wasn't even a Super Bowl. That's how long ago the, Bowl, the Bears had won. It wasn't even called the Super Bowl at that time. But, yeah, the first team in my lifetime, to the first Chicago sports team to win a world championship, it didn't really rate high. Because soccer was such a new sport, but it was hey, a championship was a championship, and the and the the seventy sports in the in in Chicago was was really bad. And the funny thing is, I was just thinking about this the other day. As bad as as the teams were in the mid seventies, the Cubs were horrible. The Sox were horrible in the mid seventies. They they had a, a few little flirtations in the late seventies, but in the mid seventies, like. 74, 75, 76, the Cubs were terrible. The Sox were terrible. The Blackhawks were, were on the downslide. They had, had a great run in the late 60s and early 70s, but when they lost uh, Bobby Hull in the early 70s, that, that sort of ruined them, so they were on a downfall. The Bulls were, were, always, they were pretty good. They were always one of the better teams, but they never made it to the finals. They had some good players, but they never seemed to be able to to get over that that hump. But they still, at that time, basketball wasn't as prominent as it was either. So Chicago teams uh, in the major sports were really bad the 70s. And the funny thing is, though, right now, as we speak, this has to be the lowest that Chicago sports have been, I would say, in 50 years. Every team we have is in last place or close to it. Bears horrendous, Bulls horrendous, Sox, or I mean uh, Blackhawks horrendous, Cubs horrendous, and Sox biggest disappointment. I think they wound up 500, but they were supposed to go to the World Series. They didn't make the playoffs. So I would say right now, Chicago sports is as, is, is as bad. The sports teams right now are as bad as they have ever they have been in the last fifty, almost worse perhaps. In the last 50 years. That's how bad things are for Chicago sports right now. But I have to say, the Chicago Sting won a championship in soccer. I think it was 1976. And as a young kid, hey, you know, you were you were glad, uh, you know, the teams were so bad. So whatever it was, you were just happy to get a championship. Even, even if you know what it was, you couldn't watch it. It wasn't really on TV. If it was, it wasn't on very often. But I do remember listening on the radio because it was just hey it's we're a, a Chicago team in the championship that was unheard of when i was growing up as a little kid 
The teams were awful. And uh, so I was, you know, so the whole soccer boom really uh, was not in my in my youth at all. It was long past my youth where soccer began to gain popularity uh, in in high schools and in parks. Uh, when I was growing up, it was still the, 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 the major sports that are still dominant today in the United States were, were even more dominant than ever. You know, and it was baseball, football, basketball, and then hockey was always kind of the... Uh, you know the little stepchild part of it, you know, popular in pockets, uh, but certainly not uh, to the the level. And neither was basketball. It was basic. Baseball was number one, no question about that. Baseball in the seventies was still the most popular sport, but football was gaining. Um, and certainly, as the decade went on, and then into the eighties, uh, football really uh, started to. Um, to gain popularity. I think it really started to get its biggest popularity in the 90s, though, late 80s and early 90s, certainly with players like Joe Montana and uh, and Dan Marino and, and, and teams like that that really heightened. And plus there was a lot more um, exposure then. And don't forget, you know, cable television came by and suddenly there were more games on and football, as I said many times, is is made perfect. It's, it's just a perfect sport for 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 television watching. You know, the action takes place right in the middle of your set. The action takes place every forty five seconds. It gives you a little, little breather, and then there's this burst of action, um, and then you take a little break. Let you go to the bathroom and come back. You can, it's it's just made perfectly uh, for for television watching, and so I think that's one reason. Why it's it's exploded? Certainly, gambling is a major part of its popularity too. But um, but soccer, you cannot deny, has uh, has risen in its popularity and and probably will continue. As I said, now with the access that we have to the sport through so many platforms, you can watch now. If you want, you can just get you know soccer packages so that's another reason why people have become why it's why it's gained popularity you see a lot of people uh you know watching all these matches here in the united states because there's they're just more available they weren't available before like i said even though the uh the chicago sting chicago had a team in this early um professional league uh the the, the games were not prominently uh broadcast Every week, they weren't on a on a major station, uh, and they weren't on every day like baseball was. I mean, the Cubs. I mean, the reason why the Cubs are, are so ingrained is because of WGN Television. I mean, they broadcast almost every game back in the seventies and sixties. I mean, almost one hundred sixty-two games. There was the, the, WGN Television was synonymous with the Cubs. They were the Cubs station. That was it. You could always, in the summer, you could just put on Channel 9 and it just seemed like there was a Cub game on all the time. But as I said, uh, by the time I was playing sports and things like that, I mean, soccer's growth uh, was was a good 10 years after I graduated from from high school or, you know, things like that. It just started to grow, uh, I would say, in the in the mid to late 90s and on. 
certainly by 2000, but certainly even in the mid-90s, soccer began to get more popular. And it was a great way for kids to participate, which is one reason why I think soccer is so popular around the world, because... You know, you, you need you know you need a basket. I mean, you need a ball. Even it's even easier to play than basketball. I mean, all you need is the ball, and you need the ball in basketball. But you need the hoop too. You need the hoop, so you have to have some access to a hoop, whether it's at a park or on your garage, like they used to do so often. But you at least you need that hoop. But in in, in to play soccer. You don't even really need, you don't need a goal as long as you have two garbage cans that you could set up that are the same length as the, um, as the, as the, the giant net in soccer, you could play and you don't need as much of the, the size of the, of the soccer pitch or the soccer field. So I think that's one reason why soccer is such a universal game is because even in underdeveloped countries, even in with kids that don't have a lot of means, and that's where you see so many of the best soccer players come from uh, countries that are not as developed or not as uh, as financially, uh, you know, prominent in the world. Uh, soccer is two things. It's it's accessible, regardless of your economic status. It's accessible, and to that extent too, uh, it's also, especially in Europe and in South America and other countries around the world, it is an avenue out of poverty for many kids. Sports has always been this option for those with the talent and the skills to rise out of of a deprived or a poverty uh, situation that they might have been born into. It always has been. And this is not just uh, you know based on race, but also also ethnicity right here in the United States. When you look at baseball, for instance, when you look at the heydays of baseball, like in the 30s and 40s, when it really started to emerge, look at the, look at the last names of a lot of the best baseball players. Joe DiMaggio, Phil Rizzuto, Yogi Berra, uh, all Italian. Because at that time, Italians were just coming over from Italy, and many of them were in were in in in, in you know had labor jobs. They came over because there was work, but they were labor intensive jobs, and they weren't making a lot of money. They were making enough to raise their families, perhaps. And so, for some of these kids in Italian neighborhoods, baseball was a path out of that. And so you saw a lot more ethnic names uh, dominating sports in the 30s and 40s and 50s because it was a way out. In the 40s and 50s and 60s and 70s, we saw the rise of the black athlete in, in, in American sports. 
Same thing. Once the leagues got desegregated, black athletes had a pathway. And they took it. And you've seen the African-American, uh, you know, now do- obviously dominate basketball and a great, to a great extent football. In the last 25 years now, you've seen the rise of Hispanic players or Latin American players in baseball, dominating baseball. Because many of them come from economically deprived countries like the Dominican Republic, very dangerous places too. To get out of the danger or the poverty that they're born in, sports is a way out. It always has been. But at the same time, I think one reason why soccer began to get popular here in the United States um, was that it was more accessible and it did play to diversity. As we have tried to become more diverse and tolerant in our society over the last 30 years or so, you can have uh girls soccer leagues and boys soccer leagues it wasn't about uh it wasn't about strength like baseball or football or basketball uh initially was was focused on strength now you have a women's basketball league that gets a lot of publicity as well but but you know 40 or 50 years ago it was felt that girls could not play those kind of contact sports it wasn't thought that women should be able to play those they were barely able to let them play tennis. I mean, that's the way the mindset was back then. But as the the attitude started to change, more women started to play basketball. Some women play hockey. Some play football. But those are, are really, you know, now women's uh, uh, softball is huge. It's, it's a form of baseball. But that's a, a huge uh, college sport and high school sport now that gives women – Young women, a chance to get scholarships to college by playing, um, you know, 12-inch softball. So sports has always been sort of an avenue and a pathway for for people to rise and, and get advantages using their athletic ability. But I think where, where soccer has has risen was is because of its, not only of its accessibility, as I said, it didn't really matter about your economic um, background. You could learn to kick a ball into a in, in, into a, a net or at least two garbage cans that get in, the, in between them. It's a goal. So the same reason uh, that it, it, it um, appeals to countries all around the world, rich or poor, but it also allowed women more access to sports. You have you have girls uh, girls leagues and men uh, and boys leagues in college in in high school at parks. Now now the the thought process was about thirty five years or so ago. The thought was because America was so slow to come to appreciate soccer that it would take a few decades or so for those little kids that were starting to play in all these soccer leagues everywhere. I mean, listen, I mean, right, there's a term, right? Soccer moms, right? The moms who would drive their kids to the soccer matches. They were soccer moms, still are. 
I mean, that's the term. It came around in the late 80s or early 90s, right? The soccer moms. They still use that term. So it was a much more accessible game. It was a much more uh, diverse game. And so it, it, and it, and it played to that other change in, um, you know, in a cultural shift of, 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 of participation. You know, soccer, you know, you don't, you know, I mean, there's a, don't get me wrong. It's not that anybody could play soccer, but once again, you know, uh, most sports demand a, a certain level of expertise at their basic level, throwing and catching a ball whether it's playing baseball, shooting a basketball into the hoop and, 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 and dribbling and things like that. In football, obviously, strength is a big deal. But, you know, passing the ball, catching the ball, those types of things. In hockey, obviously, uh, you have to be able to, to ice skate proficiently. But soccer, and you certainly, there's, there's different levels of soccer players, don't get me wrong, but it's at its basic level, it's a simple game, right? At its basic level, it's kicking a ball. We learn how to kick a ball when we're not even learning how to play soccer. Little kids kick everything. They just kick things. It's a natural reflex. So what makes, what makes even today, and which made it back then, uh, say 20, 30 years ago, appealing was it allowed more kids to participate in sports to get involved in team activities that may at one time been relegated to only those with a certain level of athleticism or expertise, even at a young age. So you can have bad soccer teams and even bad soccer leagues, but at least the kids could play the game. They could kick the ball to one another. They might be sloppy games. I'm sure there's a lot of parents, as I said, not being a parent, I was never a soccer dad. I didn't go to to kids soccer games, you know, as a as a young, you know, somebody in my 20s and 30s and 40s. I didn't go to soccer games. I didn't, my kids were not playing soccer. I didn't have any kids. But I'm sure from what I just watch or listen to, you know, there's some, well, my god, well, yeah, our team is pretty bad. <laughs> but at least the kids were out there playing. They were getting they were getting exercise. They were having fun. They were part of a team and a unit. They were learning about sportsmanship. They were learning about comp- you know competition. Um, they were getting involved. They were participating in extracurricular activities. All good things. So once again, I think soccer in many ways is a unifying event. And I talked about this a few weeks ago on the podcast, how in our divisive world, we were hoping that the, the World Cup would become, which just ended a few weeks ago, would be a unifying factor. And I was saying how then, at the beginning of the World Cup uh, tournament, there seemed to be just as much divisiveness off the field, off the pitch, if you will, and it wasn't having that unifying kind of element because a lot of politics were getting involved in terms of it being hosted in the Middle East with uh, a very... um, heavy-handed and conservative uh, society 
that didn't allow drinking, a lot of um, restrictions for women. There were a lot of political and social and cultural um, dividing issues that were taking place at the beginning of the of the World Cup just because of its new prominence as more people, especially the United States, were getting interested in it than a lot of it of the games and, and some of the issues surrounding it were starting to get more under the microscope. As more people pay attention, that's what happens. You know, be careful what you ask for because then you're going to get under the microscope. And even soccer, the great uniter around the world in many ways, was looking to be just as divisive in some of these off-the-field issues as anything else in today's world. However, and that's why I say listen to past podcasts because a lot of times uh, they will help you with future ones. Two weeks later, now that the and, and as the World Cup tournament continued and as it's got closer to its you know its final and the teams will the teams around the world will were whittled down and you're getting into the quarterfinal the you know the the 16 and then the the the, the quarterfinals and the semifinals and the finals just like you know in in the NCAA with their basketball tournament you know they've got over almost 70 teams involved now um unless you and, and you know a lot of a lot of people get you know are all all in from the first day based on alumni and once again betting. But really, even for the casual fan, when it gets around the Sweet 16 and then the quarterfinals and semifinals, then even if you're not a big college basketball fan, you, you sort of get interested because now it's starting to mean something. Now the best teams are playing and you're going to get, you see the best players and you're going to see good games. And there is. A consequence. There will be a champion crowned, and that's always interesting. And ironically, while the World Cup, when it started with so many teams in it, it was more open to the criticisms of outsiders or perhaps casual fans who were looking at this game now and 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 being more critical of what was happening. Uh, surrounding the game politically and culturally than the game itself because it was just starting and it was getting a lot of hype but you know the the finals and the the real the real consequences of this didn't wasn't weren't going to happen for another week and a half or two weeks and so initially you were hearing more about what was going on off the field in the world cup than you were on the field, which is what I was commenting on two or three weeks ago on the podcast here. But I have to tell you, as a sports fan, and I am I'm casual soccer fan doesn't even describe me. I'm I wouldn't even consider myself a casual soccer fan. Not even that high that level up the ladder of a soccer fan. I just don't watch it. You know, I've always looked at soccer like, you know, as many Americans do. First of all, you know, if if the score is two to nothing, the game is over pretty much. It's so not easy to score a goal in soccer, which seems crazy when you just watch it because the net is so darn big. 
<laughs> it seems amazing that you can't score 10 goals. But that field and that pitch is so big and the players are so good that they don't allow for clear shots on goal. or And, and so a lot of times, and I, as I said, now just watching it on a very cursory level, it's if not for penalty kicks and and setups and uh, where they get a free kick, it would. It, there's a lot of there's not a lot of goals that happen just organically. There are, but a lot of times penalty kicks, wind, you know, wind up determining the game, which does make sense because then there's just a ball like twelve yards away from the goalie. And there's this giant net, and so the odds of scoring with just one guy kicking the ball against one goalie who's trying to defend this huge net, the odds are you're going to score. If you put the shot on goal, a lot of times the goalies are watching the the body movements, and they 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 jump, they 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 try to anticipate where the guy's going to kick the ball and they 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 dive to the left and the guy hasn't kicked it yet and then the goalie's diving left and so the guy just pokes it right and it goes there's nothing he's not even kicking the ball barely barely because the 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 net is so big on its face you would think that the scores would be you know 10 to 10 all the time but then when you start to watch the game a little closer you realize two goals in many cases is insurmountable not all the time, because I watched several games where teams were down two to nothing, and certainly, and suddenly, it was two to two, and the team up two to nothing lost. But once again, a lot of times these free penalty kicks came into play, which, which certainly then changed the game. The irony is, if it's two to nothing, the team that's winning two to nothing, at sometimes, it seems like an insurmountable lead. But then, if this team scores one goal, they're right back in it. Because then anything could happen, which does make soccer interesting and exciting. And I can't believe I'm saying this because I've always was just very anti-soccer because I would watch the games. I didn't know a lot about them. When I did watch them to say, well, let me just try this, especially, you know, 20 years ago when soccer was beginning to really catch on with all these these kids' leagues and it was starting to get, you know, some um, some prominence on television, I would try to watch it. And for when I was watching it uh, from such a, an ignorant view of the game, and I admittedly I was very ignorant on the game in all aspects of it, and I had never played it. Uh, it looked to me like you know they, they would start at one end and they would you know the the other team is kind of like hockey, right? And they would get the the ball right up near the net, and then and this one guy maybe would go the whole way, you know, running, and you have to be in great shape to play it, no question. Great athletes running and and. You know, and, and hesitating and getting around guys, and there is tackling. It is a contact sport. There's no question about that. It's not like football, but it's there's contact. But a guy would like, would run all the way, you know, 90 yards. I don't even know how big the pitch is, and go from one end to the other. And you get real close to the net, and then all of a sudden, one guy would just come and, and tap the ball away, and then that little flurry and that chance to score was gone. And that's why it's not it, you know. And I think that's one reason why um, soccer, at least initially, was not catching on because Americans are used to scoring, right? Every American sport, we like to celebrate and we love 
to see a lot of them. You know, baseball got in trouble in the 90s because they were allowing steroids because guys were hitting home runs. People loved home runs. You know, in hockey, they've changed the rules, uh, you know, to allow more uh, access to the puck so you're not offside as much, to allow plays to happen. So there's more scoring. They've they've completely altered their their overtime so that teams with less guys on the ice, so there's more chances for shots and goals. Basketball. They introduced the 24 shot clock. That was to get more action in the game. Before the shot clock, you know, every team has 24 seconds to get a shot. Well, before that, and that wasn't that long ago, you know, 50 years or so that the shot clock really became a part of it. You know, in the 70s, teams would just would just if if they were up by so you know before the shot clock teams would just waste time passing the ball around now they have to shoot at least once in 24 seconds that keeps the game interesting and it keep you know for 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 american fans to keep keep the action moving you know we like action and we like goals we like scoring and like i said you sometimes soccer games go one to nothing that's why when they score a goal in soccer, they, they celebrate for 20 minutes. They're running around, hugging and kissing and falling on top of each other because it happens so seldomly. And it seems crazy when you see it, that giant net. How could you not score? When you look at it from a far away, you know, it's like, it, it's like what, what is going on here? But then when you start to watch a game closely, you start to understand the nuances of the game, and you understand it. And that's what happened to me. For the first time in 50 years, no lie, that's when American soccer started, when they they started these American soccer leagues in the mid-'70s. So we're almost at that point, almost 50 years, 45 years. I haven't really paid any attention to soccer. Even though it's been the world's most popular game, it, it, it was never on my radar screen. And there have been other World Cups in the last, you know, the World Cup is every four years. But even, you know, in the, 20, the 2018 World Cup, I didn't care. I didn't pay attention. And before that, and it was on television. I didn't watch it. Didn't pay attention. Didn't, it wasn't even of any interest. And for some reason, this year... I started to watch it. Now, not at the early, once again, not in the early stages. But about a week and a half in, I was, you know, on the weekend, or I think the real reason why I watched it was because, you know, this was different now this year. It was in the Middle East. So they had it in in, in our winter because it's so hot in the Middle East. You couldn't play in 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 the summer. So they had it in our winter in the beginning of their summer. And then you have a nine-hour time difference, at least from from Central Time. So a lot of the games were in the morning or in the early afternoon. And so the time difference, so there's early in the morning, it's like you know, on a Sunday morning, you go, well, there's nothing really on. So I'll just watch this soccer game at, at, you know, at, at 8 o'clock in the morning. And that got me hooked. 
And then I started to watch more of the of the games, and I started to 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 see some of the same teams, and started to learn the names of the players, and and started to learn some of the jargon and understand the nuances of the game. To the point that there I was on December, what was it, uh, eight? Yeah, December eighteenth at eight forty five on a Sunday. Watching the World Cup final of France versus Argentina. I made sure I watched it. It wasn't just like, oh, well, this is on. I guess I'll watch it, which is which even the way I was a week and a half before that. I knew the date. I knew the time. I knew the teams. I knew some of the players. I was vested in it. I was invested in it for the first time. And it turned out that it was worth it because, it, from what I understand, it was one of the best World Cup finals ever played. It was exciting. I was yelling and screaming and didn't even really know what was going on to some extent. Still don't understand some of the rules. But it was exciting and interesting. And I watched the entire match. And I have never watched an entire soccer match. I could say that with all honesty. I never watched a soccer match from beginning to end continuously. That was the first one. So I think I picked a good one to choose unknowingly. But here's the other side of the coin. So there, I, had, I had a great time watching that match. It was exciting. It was fun. Uh, you know... Messi, the great player from Argentina. I got to know names. Messi. Now suddenly Messi is on my radar screen. Never knew who he was. He's been this great player for years and years and years. Never heard of him. Didn't care. Now I know who Messi is. I could I could even I could even point him out while the game was on without even seeing his number. I could tell I that's how much I was starting to watch those games. I could tell just by the way he was playing, by the way he ran and we walked. I'm like, oh, that's Messi. <laughs> And I would always scream, header, here comes a header, header, (laughs) set piece, penalty kick, (laughs) Um, yellow card, red card. (laughs) I I don't know half of what I'm talking about, but I was into it. But here's the other side of the coin. I don't know if I will watch another soccer game until 2026 when the next World Cup happens. As much as I enjoyed that final game, I don't know if I could watch soccer on a regular basis. And in, in 2026, believe me, you're going to hear about it because the United States is one of the host teams. Unlike this year, where it was all in the Middle East, in Qatar, um, in, uh, in 2026, three countries, all in North America, are going to be hosting the World Cup. United States, Canada, and Mexico. So that will be very interesting. So you will know in about two and a half, three years that the World Cup is coming. And in 2026, you will definitely know. Now, it will be in the summer again, once again, so it will be more traditional. So that will be interesting to see if I even watch it because those games won't, they'll be on in, it, it, they won't be on in the morning when there's nothing else on. So I wonder if I'll even watch it then. I don't know. 
Because as much as that game and those games I was watching for the last you know week and a half leading up to the final were interesting and exciting, and I found myself wanting to watch them, there were aspects of the game that still didn't make much sense to me. And I don't really even know anyone that I could have called to explain some of these intricacies of soccer to me. And the biggest obstacle in enjoying soccer, for me at least, and maybe it will grow on me, I don't know, but my, this is my, initial, my real initial exposure to soccer was, was just in the last three weeks, really was, after the last 50 years of soccer being in this country and the last 25 years of being very, very popular, I haven't paid attention. So all this is new. Some people might be listening and going, well, geez, you don't you know about that? No, I don't. Completely ignorant about soccer. So I am a neophyte in every sense of the word. But you have to explain to me why they don't stop the clock. Soccer is two halves, 45 minutes each. But the clock, unlike in most American sports that go on a time, not baseball, but basketball and football and hockey, where they start the clock at the maximum time and go down, soccer starts at zero and goes up. And unlike in American sports, when there's a stoppage of play, whether there's a penalty, the ball goes out of bounds, or the, whatever the, the, the ball, the puck goes out of bounds, or there's an injury, or there's a score, these are natural times when... The clock stops because their play isn't happening. There's this ancillary stuff going on. We have to go get the ball. The guys are celebrating. We have to get back. You know, so the clock stops, which makes complete sense. In soccer, the clock never stops. Why doesn't the clock stop? And especially in soccer, their celebrations for goals goes on for five minutes, and the clock is still running. Injuries were driving me crazy. I mean, don't forget, soccer, as I said, it's so important to so many people around the world. It is the national sport. It is the global sport. Soccer fans around the world take soccer, football, whatever you want to call it. They, this is as important to them as anything in their lives. It revolves around, it's a social thing. It's a national pride thing. Or it's a, it's a, it's a town or city pride thing it, it soccer is just a unifying figure on the world on so many different levels socially and it's so important to people they're so invested but yet and so that's why there's a lot of emotion involved and so and the players feed off that emotion from the crowd. You know, that's why you always hear about these fights that go on at soccer matches around the world because, you know, obviously a lot of times, especially in Europe, I mean, a lot of people drink alcohol. They, 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 that's just a part of their, li- of their lifestyle. And so, you know, there's a lot of people getting drunk and they're, and they're as, a, as these games go on and, you know, their, their excitement and their emotions take get the best of them. And if they're all... A little, uh, you know, half of the bag. Then this is what's going to happen. Most of these soccer stadiums are, you know, seventy, eighty, ninety thousand people, because the game is so darn popular. 
So there's, you know, when you put a lot of people together, a lot of rabid fans and alcohol together, you know, you can almost predict what's going to happen. And it does. But there, and there's so much emotion involved because of this, this, this pride level, whether it's, you know, whether it's your team of your town or your city or it's the team of your country. There's so much pride involved. And there's so much emotion. And the players play off of that. And they also take advantage of it. It's like a little drama. It's like an opera that's going on here. Because people are just so invested in this. So what's gotten me, what gets me crazy is, A, this clock never stops. Now, yes, I yes, I understand. They add time that after the 45 minutes, because of all these these time-wasting antics that go on, because the clock never stops, they add time on to compensate for the times when the clock is running and there's no action going on. Because everybody's just kind of walking around at a leisurely pace. They're not, there's, there's not like anybody rushing them to get started again. When there's a stoppage in play, everybody just kind of, and don't get me wrong, I understand too, there's a lot of running involved. So these guys need to take a breather. I get all that. But you can take a breather and have the clock stop. Because I don't think as much time is being wasted during all these different things, whether it's after a goal or, the, or the, the ball goes into the crowd or there's um, you know, an injury or whatever it is, all the celebration that goes on when there's a goal scored, there's a lot of time wasted. And I don't think the same amount of time that's wasted is the same amount of time that's added on. It might be close, but it's not the same. So I don't understand why they don't stop the clock. You could still have the celebrations. You could still, if a guy's injured on the on the field, you could still have somebody come out and, and look at him. If the ball goes out of bounds into the crowd, it takes a couple of seconds to get the ball back. The clock starts when the ball gets back into play, just like in every other time regulated sport. When someone gets hurt, the whistle blows, the clock stops, and the trainers come out to take care of the guy. After the after somebody scores a, a scores, clock stops. Everybody's celebrating. We have to get we okay. We, we have to get back. The ball has to get back to the line of scrimmage, or the ball gets back for a tip off, or going to drop the puck. The clock stops, but not in soccer. And I know they add this time on at the end, but then you never know how much. Even the even the announcers go, "Oh, it's seven minutes." They don't even know how much they're going to add. I don't know how that works. So that is a, that that kind of bugs me when I'm watching the game because I'm like, what is there's all the and then then when uh, it seems like every time a soccer player gets gets in any kind of confrontation, they go down and they are they seem to be over exaggerating their pain. And their uh, and their injury. Oh my God! The fate. You'd think these guys got shot. There's agony on their faces, and they're grabbing their legs and grabbing their knees. And don't get me wrong, as I said, soccer is a contact sport. I get it. When they show the replays, you know, there's a lot of you know, there's a lot of bone on bone confrontation here. They're not. They don't have padding like in 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 um in football. 
And these guys are running at a fast pace. And especially, you know, they can't use their hands. So there's a lot of elbows and, 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 and they use their head and their shoulders and that's bone and they're jumping and hitting a lot of, a lot of head injuries. I get it. But what, what, what kills me is that these guys, when they go down, they go down and they're, they're wincing in pain and agony and they're grabbing their foot or their leg or their knee or their side or their stomach. And oh, the pain on their face. And meanwhile, the clock is running. And you're seeing this display of agony. And then the, the trainers come out and they're rubbing the legs. And then the guy, you know, starts to, you know, nod his head. And, and then he gets up. And the next minute, he's running around like nothing's wrong. But meanwhile, he wasted five to six minutes. And for some reason, that's okay. So I'm, I'm a, I don't understand. I understand if somebody's hurt, but they seem to everybody, they just get clipped a little. And oh my gosh, they're down like, they're, like they were shot in the agony on their faces and the time that's wasted. And I don't believe that same time that they're sitting on the field either wincing in pain or when the trainers come out, I don't think that same time that's wasted is the time that's added on. It just it doesn't seem the same. But for some reason, that's allowed to be a part of the game. So for me to be a long, you know, a regular fan of soccer, I'm okay now. I've gotten over the fact that there's not a lot of goals scored. I can accept that. I get it because I'm watching the game more and I, and I understand the nuances of it. So I understand that now. It's, I, 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 it's still crazy when you look at it on its face. Giant net with this little guy. Even if he's six foot seven, he doesn't come close to, 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 coming, to, to, to filling up the net. Nowadays in hockey, for instance, a goalie, you know, and I used to play goalie in, in hockey, you know, in, in today's world, the goalie has, their, their equipment is so big, they almost cover the entire net. Just standing there. They have so much big equipment. So the chances of scoring a goal are not as much in hockey. You still score it, though. But in soccer, it just seems like, oh, my gosh, the net is huge. How could you not be scoring 20 goals a game? But I I understand that now. I could see the nuances of the game. But this running clock and these injuries – and they're not injuries because these guys get up and they're running around and like there's nothing wrong. But you, when you see them on the ground, you're like, well, that guy's out. He's out for his life. He might be done for his career. And two minutes later, he's running around like nothing ever happened to him. But when you saw him there laying on the ground, you'd think, okay, his career is over. So I think there's a lot of acting going on. But it's allowed. I'm not sure why. So for soccer to really be – so someone has to explain to me, if you can – if you're listening to this, please go on my Facebook page and explain to me why the clock never stops in soccer. Can you please do that? Can you write me a, a note on my Facebook page and tell me why the clock doesn't stop? Why they can't stop it and start it? Why does it just run all the time and then they just do this? It seems to me this, this arbitrary addition of time which doesn't really reflect how much time has been wasted. Why are they allowed to just walk casually there's no urgency to get the ball into play because they're actually it seems to me like a lot of times they're the team ahead especially is deliberately wasting time and that's okay 
I don't understand why is that okay? If I'm losing two to nothing, I want these guys to get the game started here, and yet nobody seems to mind. I don't get that. That needs to be explained to me. But um, what will be interesting to see now is, is, is this was a very exciting World Cup final. And just like the 1980 Miracle on Ice when the United States hockey team won the gold medal, it brought a new attention to hockey for a while here in the United States, even though because hockey is still viewed as a Canadian game. It'll be interesting to see if this exciting World Cup final does help the growth and and uh, of soccer on an even more um, on a more exciting basis, and for to to draw in more casual fans like myself or neophyte fans like myself. But I'm telling you, I've got a problem with. I got to be under. I got to be explained this until I can really get into it. I don't. I'm not looking for another soccer game to watch. I may be watching the next World Cups in 2026, and I can't even guarantee that. This seemed to be a perfect storm for me this time because these game with the time shifts, the the, the games early on in the morning. It was kind of like it was something to watch, and then it caught. But then it did grab me. I have to admit. There's some interest. There's some rules and intricacies of the game that I'm not getting. That I'm going to either have to have explained to me, and I'm going to have to either accept them or not, before I can really be a true fan of the sport and watch it for the sake of watching it, as opposed to just watching the event of the finals or a World Cup thing. I don't know if I'm ready to watch soccer on a regular basis yet because this this clock thing really does drive me crazy. And then I've also come up with a theory, because I was thinking about soccer suddenly. <laughs> you know, when soccer started here, and it got, you know, in the last 25 or 30 years, when more kids started to play in leagues, the thought was, well, soccer may not be popular now, but in 20 or 30 years, when these young kids who are in these little leagues for soccer grow up and they start playing it in high school and in college when they grow up soccer is going to be the most popular sport in america well that has not happened there's no question that the soccer leagues the professional soccer leagues for men and women have certainly gotten more popular over the last 20 years even in the last 10 years but they're nowhere near in the united states as popular as as football or baseball still, even though baseball has declined, or basketball, no way. Not even hockey, and hockey, as I said, has always been you know, the, 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 third, the, the, the fourth sport in a three-sport world. But what I'm kind of trying to figure that out as I'm watching this game is so why, why don't we? Because the United, United States team, you know, every year you know, everybody tries to put a good spin on it, but they're, they're, they're not in the upper echelon, not even close. This year they went to the to the Sweet 16 and they got knocked out. And they, you know, and that was even lucky that they got into that. They're just you could just see they're they're not on par with these European teams where soccer is a part of the culture. And even though you'd think after 30 years now of kids playing in leagues, we would we would be able to begin 
to create to 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 have a, 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 a an ability to develop you know world class soccer players. Why not? Now is that now this is when that, those predictions were supposed to start to come true. Well, in twenty years or so, when these kids grow up, then America's gonna it's gonna be the number one sport in America, and we're gonna have the best teams in the world. But we don't. It's not the number one sport in America. And we don't have great soccer teams when we are put into these world tournaments. We're still upstarts. And it, and it's, and it, and it, it just seems so incongruous because we are this powerful country where we, you would think we would be able to, to, to put together considering all these kids that have been playing soccer for the last 30 years, what's happening? And now this is just my own theory. And I don't know if others have said this before. Once again, I don't know what the buzz, what the bugaboo is in the soccer world. I don't know what the theories are because I, don't, I have not paid attention to soccer at all in my life except for the last two weeks. <laughs> so this is all new to me. But my theory is as much as we've got there's no question over the last, at least certainly the last 25 years, if, if not 30, there's no question that the amount of kids in America playing soccer has, has risen, you know, tenfold. Certainly when I, from when I was a little kid. So there's... A ton more kids playing in soccer leagues everywhere. You, I, I, when I'm just driving by indiscriminately past parks, I see more soccer leagues than I see baseball leagues. I see more kids in soccer leagues. So after 30 years of kids playing soccer on a regular basis, all in these leagues, the question is, why doesn't America have a better you know, national team when they are put up against competitions against all these other European and South American teams. Why aren't we, why are we still lagging so far behind? And my theory is that as much as, and remember what I talked about earlier in the podcast here, soccer was a great equalizer and it allowed more kids to participate, which is great. But I wonder, are the, the kids, the elite athletes, the kids with athletic ability, even from a young age, because even if you have natural ability to be an athlete, you still have to hone that talent. Musical talent, all, all, all inherent talents that people are maybe born with, you still have to work hard to develop them. You may have the ability to hit a ball you know, with a bat. You may have the ability to shoot a ball. You may have the ability to pass a ball. But you still need to, 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 to work hard at it to hone that craft. And so while there's a lot of kids in numbers playing soccer, are those elite athletes, those kids that do have that natural talent, boys and girls, are they being attracted to soccer? Or are they continuing their soccer development, or are they still going toward the more popular, the more lucrative, the more status sports 
in our American culture like football and baseball and basketball. Those are where the money is in this country. My gosh, this, this offseason in baseball, the contracts are off the charts with some of the money these guys are making. Shortstops are making $20 million, 20 million a year. Not even big home run hitters. You know, football and basketball has been have been they're, 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 basketball players are among the highest paid in his in, in basketball uh, in, in sports in general. Football finally is getting big contracts, especially given the the the, the career risk that these guys take and the mental and the physical take that they that they, they take on their bodies. You know, years later, they're finally getting big contracts. So I'm wondering if the status of those of those sports and the lure of the money, once again, that pathway to success, whether it's out of uh, poverty or just getting paid millions, you don't necessarily have to come from poverty to want to have ten million dollars in your bank account. Are the elite athletes, even at a young age, despite all these leagues of soccer, are the, are the elite athletes still going toward those sports that have the more status and the bigger road to, 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 to big money? Baseball, football, basketball. Might be a lot more kids playing soccer, but maybe they're not the best athletes. There's a lot of soccer leagues, but maybe not a lot of great athletes playing in those soccer leagues. I don't know. But there has to be a correlation between because when we, when we export our sports against other countries, we do dominate. We dominate in basketball around the world when our pros play. We dominate in, uh, in all those other sports. But we don't dominate in, in soccer. So there has to be a reason. So I'm wondering if the elite athletes, the talented athletes, even at the young age, they might play soccer for a couple of years, but then they start to play baseball, they start to play football, they leave soccer. They don't follow through on soccer because it doesn't have the same pathway to the fame and fortune that perhaps those other sports have here in America. So just because there's a lot of kids playing soccer don't mean that the best athletes are playing soccer. The best athletes may still be going to those established sports in this country. I don't know. That's just my theory. Because you would think after 30 years of all these kids playing soccer in these youth leagues around the country that we'd be able to field a contending international soccer team and yet we're still we're getting there but we're still in the middle of the pack at best and for the prominence and and of our country and the money that we have you'd think that we'd be able to develop better soccer players but for some reason we still haven't there's individual players but we don't have for all those kids playing soccer and mass in all these leagues, we haven't been able to put together a solid international team. So it lends me to believe that the best athletes are not playing soccer, even in the youth leagues. Same thing with American hockey. 
Hockey is a Canadian sport. There's no question. There's some amazing and great American players like Patrick Kane right here in Chicago. You know, he was from the Buffalo area, I believe. There's some, but America doesn't win in the Olympics. That's why winning in 1980 was such a big deal. Because American-grown players, not a, not that many kids have access to hockey. They don't they don't ice skate as much. It costs a lot of money to be in a hockey league with all the equipment, so it's not as accessible. And in hockey, though, that's it, 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 the money part doesn't play a part because it's so ingrained in the culture that that's every kid. The parents that the parents will work hard to pay for their kids. Hockey equipment, because it's a part of their it's it's a part of their identity. That's not the way it is in America, and that's why we we're still lagging in 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 really developing the best hockey players in the world. Yes, there's a few here and there, but not as many as there are from Canada. So I think the same thing's happening in soccer. We've got all these kids playing in these soccer leagues, but the elite athletes, the kids that have athletic ability. If they started playing soccer, they may leave soccer to go to other sports that have more prestige. Hey, I'm the quarterback of the football team. I'm the center on the basketball team. I'm the pitcher on the baseball team. In America, that's still, you know, in high school, that still has more status than, you know, I'm the midfielder on the soccer team. For better or worse. But I least can say that for two weeks, I became a soccer fanatic. I knew the players. I watched the game. I was yelling and cheering. I even understood the jargon of the game. So now the question is, Will I continue to be a soccer fan or not? I'm not sure. They got to do something about that running clock. And so ends another episode of Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. Every Monday, a new episode is posted at WGNRadio.com or wherever you go to find your favorite podcast. We are there. And don't forget to tell your friends. Tell your family, tell anybody who listens to a podcast that your favorite podcast is Elton Jim's Captain Podcastic, and it should be theirs too. Your loyalty and devotion is much appreciated. Hope you enjoyed episode number 344. I'm Jim Toronto. I'm here on business. I'm only here for fun. You've been listening to Elton Jim's Captain Podcastic from the end of the web to your screen. Messi, Messi, Messi.